In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord's Prayer is really a wonderfully simple prayer that Jesus has left for us. It captures so much of what we are meant to do as followers of our good and gracious God, as disciples of the good news found in Jesus Christ. We'll pray that whole prayer in just a moment, as we always do in our communal worship. That's how important it is to us. But there's one line today that I want to focus on. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or maybe you like the contemporary language version found in our prayer book, which closely follows the Lord's prayer Jesus teaches in Luke's account. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Or maybe you like Matthew's version, which uses a slightly different word. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Regardless of the translation, Jesus is trying to tell us in this simple prayer that forgiveness is central to who we are as children of God. You are forgiven, and you have the power to forgive. Jesus' understanding of this forgiveness is so strong, so complete, that he goes to the cross to make it so. We as Christians have generally accepted the notion of forgiveness as crucial to our being, but the actual practice of forgiveness is often more complicated than we'd like it to be. It's tricky. On the one hand, we don't want to cheapen Jesus' work on the cross by offering forgiveness to someone who is unrewarding of it. But on the other hand, Could we not also argue that we run the risk of cheapening Jesus' transformative act on the cross if we fail to offer forgiveness freely? Our gospel passage today examines this conundrum. As I said, Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer uses the word debtor to describe those who are in need of forgiveness. The debtor owes something. And so it's not surprising then that we get this parable in Matthew that describes forgiveness as a monetary transaction. Peter asks Jesus, how many times are we to forgive? As many as seven times. Jesus responds saying that we should forgive not just seven times, but 77 times, or seven times seven times, depending on the translation. Seven is a special number in ancient times, and Jesus here is alluding to this special connotation. He is essentially saying there is no limit to forgiveness. And then he tells this parable. As we heard, a king begins settling his accounts with his slaves. One slave owes the king 10,000 talents, and this is literally more money than can exist. One scholar notes that 10,000 is the largest number and a talent is the largest denomination of currency in the time period. So this slave literally owes everything. 
The king threatens to sell the slave off in order for the king to be made whole, but the slave begs for leniency. He begs for forgiveness. And then the king forgives this debt, the debt essentially of a whole life. That same slave, as he leaves the king's presence, bumps into a different slave who owes him an insignificant amount of money compared to the debt that has just been forgiven. One might think that the slave will return the favor of forgiveness, but that's not what happens. Instead, the first slave sends the second to debtor's prison. And when the king gets word of the first slave's actions, he is incensed and immediately reverses his decision to forgive. This is a complicated parable. On the one hand, the parable is set in a world of oppression. The concept of slavery was well known in biblical times, especially under Roman rule. And Jesus here makes use of a context that his listeners would have understood to get his point across. And yet our modern ears probably find this parable a little hard to hear. The horrors of slavery make this a difficult passage to digest. Perhaps that's a conversation for a different sermon. Furthermore, the parable almost seems to contradict what Jesus has just told Peter. If forgiveness is indeed infinite, does the first slave not have another chance? He's tortured after he neglects to forgive others as he has been forgiven. So what happens to him? Where are his 77 chances? As most parables do, our story today ends before our need for resolution is met. But Jesus' warning is nonetheless clear. Forgiveness requires something of us. Forgiveness changes us. Forgiveness changes those we encounter. Failure to see that means that we continue to live in our broken world. It's living in the past, examining old mistakes, longing for a chance to change something we never can. While we can't change the past, we can shape the future. One theologian notes that the past has power, and forgiveness is the way to handle the past. The slave who was forgiven by the king had a beautiful opportunity to move forward and make a change to his world that would have brought grace and peace to another living soul. If he had forgiven that lesser debt, he could have passed on the forgiveness he had received. Jesus invites us not to make the same mistake. Let's not live in the past. Let's create a future that is filled with grace. I think a common misconception with the idea of forgiveness is that it's restorative in the sense that everything goes back to the way it was. Perhaps you've heard the term forgive and forget. I don't think that's actually possible. Perhaps the better phrase would be to forgive and to transform. Human nature makes it hard for us to forget about things that have been done to us. As we said, The past has power. 
But in choosing to forgive someone for their transgressions, we choose to take charge of that power. We learn a new way to handle what has happened to us. We transform the past into something that allows us to live into the future. The thing is, forgiveness has just as much to do with us as it does with the person or persons we are forgiving. The reality of it may be that the person we choose to forgive might not be worthy of forgiveness at all in our eyes. They may have made no amendment of life. They may, may have made no apology. They may have never even thought that what they did to you has harmed you. They might not even be around anymore. And yet, we still carry the weight of their transgressions with us. There are many things for which it may seem impossible for us to forgive. But I think a key distinction we have to make is that forgiveness is a neighbor to justice. They are not the same. There are many transgressions where justice is needed more than anything. But the act of forgiveness is somewhat of a separate conversation. In forgiving someone who has made no attempts at reconciliation, we are not making an excuse for the offender or tolerating things that we have no reason to tolerate. We are making a change, a transformation within ourselves that lets us move beyond the power that the past holds. We choose to transform what has happened. Perhaps that transformation is cutting a person out of your life. Perhaps that transformation is setting appropriate boundaries. And perhaps that transformation leads to a renewal of a relationship. There are so many examples of people offering forgiveness in spaces where it seems to make no sense. Spaces where I myself have a hard time imagining being as graceful and forgiving as I am preaching about today. Instances like the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa following the horrors of apartheid, a process that understood well the distinctions between justice and forgiveness. Instances like the parishioners of Mother Emanuel Baptist Church in South Carolina forgiving the gunmen that inflicted hate-filled violence on their community. A gunman who has made no amendment of life, no apologies, no change. It begs the question, what does it do to our souls to forgive? What does it do to us to forgive those who have perpetrated horrible violence? What does it do to our souls to forgive those who don't want our forgiveness? Perhaps the lesson of our gospel is the inverse of these questions. What does it do to us to hold on to these things forever? The message of the parable is not that we will be punished for not forgiving, but by not forgiving, we are already living in a space where a power other than God's grace has taken hold. Sitting in the brokenness, sitting in the past, sitting with the putrid hate 
that can fill our bellies is no way to spend a life. The invitation to forgive is an invitation into the grace and peace that come from the love of God. So it's not forgive and forget. It's forgive and transform. It's forgive and learn. Forgive and make the world a better place. Forgive and see the new path that opens up into a brighter, grace-filled future. Forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive, for it is the only way. The act of forgiveness, even a forgiveness that seemingly makes no sense, is a bold turn into God's goodness, a bold return to the powerful love that God offers to us freely through the person of Jesus Christ. So when we say that simple prayer in just a moment, when we pray for forgiveness for ourselves, when we pray for that forgiveness to flow through us, we also pray for God's will to be done here on earth. God's will is love. God's will is grace. God's will is compassion. God's will is justice. God's will is peace. In examining the act of forgiveness in our own lives, we join with God in making these things just a little more common in our weary world.